according to the most recent survey from Babson Research Group, it found that online courses are gaining popularity in America. The group discovered that at least 30% of higher educational learners are taking at least one distance or online course. As of December of last year, making it imperative that the educational equity and value is present to ensure students of all ages and abilities have access to a diverse learning experience. Dr. Kyle Clayton is an instructional designer at the University of Oklahoma. It's his job to consult on course design and content production to support faculty to ensure that all students have equal opportunity to maximize their learning experience. In his work, Clayton is constantly cognizant of the fact that access to opportunity to learn isn't the same for all students. So, when he designs courses, he wants to ensure that it's a level playing field for all students of all abilities. The diversity of thought and collaboration are two of the greatest aspects of Clayton's job and what he enjoys doing the most, collaborating with people and maximizing the results and potential of students. He joined me this week to talk about everything from educational equity, designing and structuring courses for student success, and the future and viability of online learning. If you're an educator at any level, it's imperative you stick around because Clayton delivered some nuggets of information we can all learn from. So without further delay, I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. take a moment to welcome you to the program and I'm super excited to be with you uh, this morning to talk about educational equity and designing courses my friend great to see you this morning and happy Oklahoma Thursday my friend (laughs) yeah yeah supposed to get some rain today uh, and some bad weather today so hopefully nothing too wild uh, well, I have to tell you, buddy, I live in, in uh, Canada, and we're expecting a rain-snow mix tomorrow. Hopefully, it's the last uh, snowstorm of the season, right? 
Yeah, we don't get a ton of snowstorms here. We get uh, hail and uh, tornadoes and uh, high winds, the the really fun stuff. Well, you're right in the middle of tornado country, right? Yes. <laughs> that must be fun, isn't it? <laughs> it's uh, nothing else, right? Yes, yes, yes. I don't know if it's fun, but yes, it does uh, Yeah, provide some adventure uh, and excitement. Absolutely. So, highlight know your day job. It's fascinating. As an instructional designer, you help uh, faculty there at the University of Oklahoma support their, their students uh, learning by facilitating opportunities for uh, faculty to enhance or advance their online learning experience. So, I'm Fascinated to start our conversation by asking you just to give me a three hundred and sixty degree view of your job, your job, and what makes it so fabulous. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've been doing it for uh, almost three years now, uh, and, and I've really enjoyed it. Uh, one of the things that um, I've really learned is is depending on where you work and, and like if we're doing interviews and hiring for people, this is one of the big things we kind of go over with them is, is instructional design work really looks different uh, depending on, on where you're at, um, what the goals are of, of, of where you work. And so sometimes instructional designers will do a lot of concrete content creation. So maybe they create PowerPoints or trainings or things like that. Um, but in our office um, at the University of Oklahoma, we really work as um, project managers um, for those courses. And so we will um, work with the instructors. Uh, their goal really is to still create their content, but we'll help them um, organize the content, help them to um, kind of craft. We always try to have course goals and then module goals as well um, for each week. And so we really work with them to kind of create those, fine tune those, align those as well, kind of with their um, assessments, uh, so whether that be their tests or if they have written assessments um, or if they're doing lectures um, or readings, right? So we want to make sure all of the things they're asking students to do align with those goals that they've set um, so that we're not just asking students to um, do things that don't make sense or don't really fit within the in the content of the class. Um, and so all of that's then placed in, in an LMS, a learning management system. And we um, try to structure that uh, material uh, in there in a manner that limits student questions um, and kind of limits the problems that students may encounter um, throughout the semester. So we try to make sure that the content's clear the goals are clear, the instructions are clear for them, um, so that um, as instructors are working on the course and teaching the course, uh, they have more time for instruction, more time to provide feedback, and just more time to uh, meet with students when student questions do arise, um, so that they're not spending as much time throughout the semester um, just answering questions about when an assignment may be due or um, how a student's supposed to submit an assignment. So we try to make sure that that stuff is clear. Um, so yeah, we really try to support students kind of, or instructors just to say, um, as kind of a project manager um, and really kind of guide them through that process um, of developing that course uh, because we work with instructors that have varying levels of experience teaching online, varying levels of just teaching in general. Um, and so we really try to guide them 
um, through that process of, of getting that content ready, uh, making sure that content's accessible, making sure it's in a location students can easily find it, uh, and then answering, you know, working to help answer any questions they may have um, about the learning management system, um, utilizing video, utilizing any other kind of external content. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Kyle was the increased popularity of on, online learning after COVID, my friend. I'm, I'm uh, also curious to ask you, how much of your job is insur uh, ensuring educational equity for students and really making sure that they can maximize their online learning experience? Yeah, yeah, it is. And so we really work, um, right, we really, the way we try to make sure things, you know, are, you know, equity is being provided, right, that students have equal access to everything. Um, and so the first thing we really try to focus on is how we structure the courses um, and place the material in there. Um, so if a student comes into a program um, from, you know, as they move from one course, um, to the next course that they're easy, they can easily access that material. Um, so they're not searching for things. So let's say in their first, first class of, of a program, um, you know, they're they have to learn a little bit of where things are, but then as they go to the next course, um, that, that information or similar information is placed in the same format, uh, in the same structure. Um, and we try to make sure that each week has, um, a, a checklist so students know what exactly what they're supposed to do throughout the week. Uh, and then we have various processes within our office and outside of our office that we um, implement uh, before a course runs, during the course running, and after the course running um, to provide feedback. Um, we have quality checks and we check um, a lot of things for accessibility as well. Um, and we try to use make sure that yeah, everything that, that we put on there right, um, we're trying to consider as many things as possible so that we are allowing students to access that material and have success. Um, and then beyond just kind of those, you know, meeting those quality standards or meeting those accessibility standards, um, we really work to um, encourage faculty to be like flexible uh, in what they're doing. Uh, because, you know, even if we design what we think is a near perfect course and we get it out there, there's almost inevitably going to be an issue um, with something. Um, or maybe there's a problem we couldn't have encountered, um, or maybe there's a new situation of students dealing with that we couldn't have encountered beforehand. Um, and so we really try to encourage faculty to be flexible um, with whether it be de deadlines, uh, due dates for assignments, um, whether it be how a student submits an assignment, um, or things like that. And so we really try to have faculty to be um, flexible and really encourage them um, kind of to treat each student right as an individual, work with them on that individual basis, uh, and kind of treat each situation that may arise um, kind of as a unique situation. So that um, because there's not really an all of education, right? There's not ever going to be one solution um, that works for every student that that an instructor may encounter. And so uh, I think it's important we try to build that into the structure, but then just encouraging faculty, right, to uh, be flexible and, and approach those situations um, kind of as, you know, unique situations where um, sometimes they require unique approaches uh, and solutions to solve them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, talking about the structure of 
courses, you know, as you said, not all uh, students learn the same way, so that there isn't one size that fits up all. So I'm curious if we can dive deeper into the, stru into the structure of designing courses and whether th there are particular principles that you haven't shared with me yet that go in into your line of thinking or decision making when you structure or design a form. Yeah, um, really the things that, um, you know, I'm thinking of um, and really talk the most about. Um, and there's a ton of developmental models, right? And they all kind of try to follow the same structure. And ultimately, the goal is the same um, for, for most of those. The things that I really try to focus on uh, outside of that is just consistency in the course and ease of use. Um so it, when I'm thinking of consistency, I want to make sure week to week, um, you know, if students have to read or if they have to complete a quiz or um, whatever that task they need to do, that it's very clear uh, and that things are consistent from week to week. Um, and, and that if we're utilizing due dates for assignments, um, that that those are consistent as well. So we don't want to have something due on a Tuesday have the same assignment next week be due on a Friday uh, or put the time different, right? So we just want things to be consistent um, for students uh, because then it gives them more time. They're not worried about, okay, well, this quiz is due on Tuesday, but then my next quiz is due on Friday. Um, or this week we had a discussion, next week we don't have a discussion for the next two weeks. Um, so that in that consistency, um, it limits the amount of cognitive load that they're having to utilize to plan uh, and think about what they need to do uh, and that they're able to spend more time on the course material whether that be reading or watching lectures or watching external uh, tools or if they need to learn a software right so they're given more time to do that um, so if the course you know is consistent things are easy to find uh, there's ease of use in the in the course, right? They can find the readings, they can find the course syllabus, they can find they can easily find the instructions for an assignment um, and things like that. They have more time, they have more mental capacity than to work on those things that they need to be working on, um, whether that be readings, uh, watching lecture videos, completing assignments, and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Kyle, I'm also uh, fascinated to get your perspective. Your perspective on the term lifelong learner and what does that mean to you, my friend? Yeah, uh, that's something, you know, I think we um, in education talk about um, pretty regularly. Uh, and it's really something that was, uh, I think, was a focus of, of graduate school as well. We talked about it a lot um, in terms of how do we... Uh, you know, just move from learning, right, to complete the task or complete that immediate goal um, to developing those skills to be uh, a lifelong learner so that you can continue learning um, beyond that current moment. Um, so, yeah, for me, lifelong learning is is someone's desire, right, to continue to grow and learn. Uh, and this can look different, I think, depending on uh, the context and the content that they're needing to learn. Um, so sometimes for work, right, we need to have those skills uh, to continue growing and developing our skill set or maybe learning a new tool uh, that, that we come across. 
Um, something right now I know for education that's uh, been kind of a hot topic is uh, the use of AI. So something like chat GPT, right? Um, using that to create text for assignments and things, right? Um, so that's something as educators and working in education, right? That's not going away. So it's something that we have to take, you know, use those skills as a lifelong learner to, to learn about how does that apply? What's its usefulness? Um, and things like that. So sometimes we have to learn a new tool for work. Uh, sometimes, you know, lifelong learning includes just learning something uh, for fun. Uh, maybe it's an interest outside of uh, work or outside of, you know, your normal daily activities. You're just like, oh, that's an interesting topic. I'm going to learn about that. Um, so you have to have those skills to do that. Um, so I think that includes somebody being learning how to be self-directed uh, and self-regulate. Um, that learning. So somebody that's self-directed can say, okay, to learn um, a skill for work, maybe it's not required, but you're like, I need to learn this so that I can do my job most effectively. So how are you going to do that? What's what's your goals, right? You have to direct that learning. Uh, and then in terms of self-regulation, right, you have to be able to kind of regulate when you're working on that, how you're working on it, um, and you know how long you're going to work on it as well. Um, so I think you have to have those skills, right, to then uh, be able to continue learning uh, um, throughout life. And like I said, you can learn something new, whether it be for work or just for interest uh, or something just for fun, right? Um, but I think it's important to develop some of those skills that are tied to being self-directed and being able to direct your learning um, and those self-regulation skills so that uh, maybe, you know, as you're learning a new skill for work, um, you're not spending 24 hours a day working on it um, and that you're kind of regulating your time that you spend on that so that you're still working on the tasks um, that you need to work on as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, life is a constant game of learning, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, I think, yeah. And I think you have to always um, be ready and willing to learn um, something new. Um, regardless of how long um, you do something. So, I mean, I've only been doing instructional design work professionally for for three years, um, which isn't very long, but each year there's something new that it's like, okay, we kind of need to, uh, maybe it's a skill or maybe it's a piece of technology um, or maybe it's just a workflow um, process, right? So there's always something that um, is needing to be learned, Um Throughout that, yeah. So you have to, I think, yeah, uh, yeah. Moving forward in life requires that to be learning, and learning new skills and 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 new information, whatever wherever that may fit into what you're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, how you had mentioned that you've only been doing this work for a few years, but but so tell me about your path and what led you to uh, dive into this portion of your career. What do you like so much about it? Yeah. Um, so I worked in uh, out of college directly. I worked in some mental health um, and I got kind of interested in um, counseling and, and just kind of working with people on that level. Uh, and so then I went back to school and started working on my master's and uh, really, really began to enjoy uh, the process of learning uh, more so than I had previously. Um, and so then went into um, getting my PhD uh, in educational psychology, uh, which then kind of just by happenstance kind of got into instructional design work. Um, and so didn't really 
probably didn't know as much about it as I thought I did uh, and kind of what that entailed when I started. Um, so kind of got into it um, just by accident a little bit. Um, and so, uh, yeah, and I, so I really have enjoyed doing it um, in terms of, you know, what, what I enjoy about it. It's just the different people and different groups of people that I get to interact with um, each day, each week. Um and each month, um, there's always different problems uh, um, that have to be solved. There's also there's different challenges that have to get overcome um, throughout that as well. Um, and so it's just it's really an enjoyable experience. Pretty much each day, kind of working through those different problems, um, kind of learning to work with the different people. Um, because you know, I have as an instructional designer, and, and just the way I work. Uh, I may prefer a certain workflow or a certain way of doing things. Um, but when you're working with um, different instructors who have differing levels of experience, um, you know, they may have a way that they want to work as well. Um, so they may have a workflow they want to follow. And so it's just kind of learning to work with other people and kind of uh, learning to kind of work within their workflow as well. Um and so that I think that's really enjoyable because it creates just the environments different every day and kind of what, and what what I'm doing, kind of how I'm having to work um, and things like that. So I think uh, that that for me, that's that's what's most enjoyable um, is just having those different experiences and getting to kind of um, <clears throat> work, like I said, with with a, um, a vast range of, of people um, with differing backgrounds, experiences and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. It's the ultimate social and professional experiment, isn't it? Yes, yes. <laughs> and there's never a dull day in your job, I'm sure, right? Very rarely. <laughs> I get I get a little worried if, if it gets dull. It makes me think things are about to go really wrong. <laughs> well, that just challenges you to keep it more interesting, right? Yes. Absolutely. Kyle, I'm also curious to ask you about the future of online learning and what, what you think that's headed with the next five to ten years. Yeah. Um, that's something, you know, I think anybody that works in online education or where that's a focus is, is we really are thinking about, okay, what's the, you know, what's that look like? Yeah. In five, 10 years, right. We can look back and see how much it's grown. Um, and I think that there's a lot of growth that's taken place. And I think really the goal of online learning is to um, make education, especially at higher ed levels, more accessible to more individuals um, because it allows people to kind of work um, around their own schedules, right? So you don't necessarily, you know, if you're in an online program, you're not going to class throughout the day, right? So you can typically still work do your family functions, right? And kind of do work when you have time and kind of build that into your schedule instead of building your schedule around it. Um, so I think that's kind of the goal of online learning. And I think we're, we are doing better, right? Than we were even maybe five or 10 years ago. And there's still a lot of growth um, to be, to be had. And I really think that growth um, is going to start to focus um, kind of on undergrad, um, undergraduates, and especially those who have 
began maybe college and not finished for whatever reason and they've got credit so how do we get those students back into um kind of finish up their degrees how can we you know accommodate whatever they've done previously um to make that as easy and seamless for them to finish that um so yeah i think you know i think for me um i think for online education the growth that's going to happen is just making it continuing to make it more accessible making it an easier process for students to get started um and not necessarily punishing um students whether they're undergrads or graduates right if they have to take time off um from school for whatever reason maybe their job gets uh, more complicated or busy or maybe they have a life event whatever that may be right um students should be able i think to easily kind of come back into that uh and continue where they left off um so i think that's kind of the future of where um online education is headed is making sure one that it's accessible to more people and that it's easier for those maybe who have started and not finished something um for them to come back um and pick up kind of right where they left off and finish that out yeah absolutely and uh kyle we talked earlier about educational equity and equality on a more larger uh, scale but i want to uh narrow it down to uh, students with disabilities you know kyle i was uh, born with cerebral palsy and certainly I learn differently than uh, a non-disabled person or uh, I, just, I just have a different learning style than most people. I'm more of a visual learner than a, a, than a, than a book learner. So tell me about uh, uh, really making sure that courses are inclusive for all students, but particularly for students with uh, disabilities as well. Yeah, and I think, uh, so in our office, we have, um, we really try, we have accessibility standards that we work to meet. Um, and so we try to make sure every course is meeting those. Um, so regardless, right, of, of whatever somebody's disability might be, that they're able um, to access the material, they're able to learn the material, and they're able, right, then to apply that material and have success in the course. Um, and so we try to make sure that whatever material we're using um, is is presented in multiple formats, right? So we try not, um, we try to have, you know, if instructors are doing um, videos, and we send all of those videos off to be professionally captioned, um, so that those are there. Um, we always are checking videos for the audio levels and all of that, so that we make sure that it's, um, you know, the audio level is is discernible, you know, regardless of somebody's hearing, right? Uh, and we're also checking, you know, another big thing we always check as well um, is in that we're always aware of if, if we're posting things on there, you know, can these, you know, are these usable with a screen reader? Um, um, are the colors on there going to be visible um, to somebody who may have a color blindness, right? So we want to make sure um, we work to make sure I should say that all of those things are accessible, um, you know, and at the university level as well, um, they, they do try to provide and, and make people aware of any accommodations somebody may may need regarding um, their disability as well. So sometimes we have to make some adjustments to meet those as well. Um, but our goal um, when we're designing courses is that we're already doing those things, right? So that we, when we get accommodations for 
whatever that may be, um, whether it be for videos to be captioned, right, because we're already doing that, whether it be um, PDFs to make sure that they're um, accessible via screen readers or things like that. Um, we're trying to already do those things so that all of that course material um, is accessible um, to people with varying, you know, disabilities that may, you know, like you said, with, I think you said more uh, visual than reading it, being able to read a textbook, right? And making sure that th those things are already being done and that we aren't just saying, hey, here's a textbook. You have to be able to read it. But like, um, so sometimes it's using digital textbooks, like making sure those other resources um, and that they're accessible through different formats, right? And that it's not just, here's the text, read the text, but also here's, you know, maybe some videos to accompany the text or here's the audio version of the text as well. And so we're trying to um, meet those needs before we know about them. Obviously, that's not always possible. Sometimes we find stuff out later. Um, and so then we work to make those adjustments um, and make sure that we're we're taking those things into account uh, for future offerings of that course or just in future course developments. It's kind of like educational preventative maintenance, right, Kyle? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and Kyle, I, I'm fascinated talking to you to learn where your passion individually for education comes from. Why do you uh, love impacting students in education in general? Yeah, uh, you know, I think it stems, um, you know, I didn't always like uh, being in the educational system and, and, and that. I've always enjoyed learning, though, uh, and that really came from uh, my grandfather, um, who really always kind of pushed us all to be learning things. Um, he was never the person you could ask the, you know, you could never ask him the answer to a question, then he'd give you the answer. Um, he always made you work for the answer um, and kind of made us all follow the scientific method, right, of kind of thinking of a hypothesis, making predictions, and then kind of trying to test that question so that we could find the answer. Um, and so he always was pushing us to learn. And so I think, uh, you know, all of, uh, you know, that's kind of where I would say my passion for learning in general came from. Um, and that was from a young age, you know, and then in school, education-wise, didn't necessarily love it uh, the whole time. As I got older, um, it really changed, you know, so my passion for learning became also kind of that passion um, for education as well, because I know and have seen that not everybody has has had and continues, right, there's still not equal access all the time to education. So, um, you know, seeing that, you know, and, and knowing my experience growing up and kind of being pushed to learn, right, not everybody's going to have that person in their life, right, that pushes them to learn. Um, and so it, it makes me want to be in education and be able to have an impact on that and making sure that um, students um, can have those opportunities to learn, right, and that the resources that they need to be successful um, are there. Um, and so that, that's really where my passion is, right? Yeah, learning's awesome um, and, and, and all of that, but ultimately it comes down to people being able to access, access that learning, uh, having the resources and tools at hand um, to be successful as well. Um, and so, yeah, that's, you know, as I've been in education more, uh, my passion for that, I think, has grown. Um, and I really see the impact, right, that 
the educational system can have um, on on different people's lives and help them um, to succeed uh, and gain, you know, valuable skills and knowledge uh, that they need to be successful in whatever path um, they choose. Yeah, education's the right equalizer, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Kyle, you said something that interests me. You said that access to education isn't always afforded uh, to all uh, students, and you know, I always say that um, uh, talent is an equally distributable commodity, but sometimes. The access to that isn't so. Tell me, how do you think we eliminate the barriers to access to education for a student that uh, may experience some difficult, uh, some difficulties accessing the education? Yeah, and I think, I mean, yeah, I think that's a, a tough question and problem to solve, right? And I think it starts. Um, you know, the biggest thing, right, with anything with education and anything is is making sure the funding's there for those different resources, um, you know, and as especially as we move, um, you know, towards more online school, whether that's, uh, you know, K-12, right, That's that's been an increase uh, in K-12 through school, it's been an increase in higher ed as well, uh, in terms of having students attend school kind of in an online format. Um, and so there's really two things there, right, that if we're thinking of accessibility, that I think a lot of us take for granted, right, is access to the internet uh, and and the technology to access the internet. Um, because a lot of us are on that daily, but not everybody has consistent access to those things. Um, and so I think, you know, making sure that those things are more accessible is one step. Uh, the other step, right, is also beyond, I think, the learning process of education, but also when we think of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Those basic needs need to be met as well. Um, and so there's, you know, we, I think again, a lot of people take for granted access to clean water, access to food. Um, and that's not always the case. Not everybody has access to quality food. Not everybody has access to um, clean drinking water as well. And although that's adjacent to education, right? Or, or education to be accessible, students need some of those needs to also be met. Um, and that ties directly into their ability, I think, to be successful um, at whatever level of education that they're at, right? Because then they, again, if they have those things, those needs are being met, uh, they'll have more more time, they'll have more energy, uh, and they'll have more cognitive load to focus on uh, their, their goals educationally, uh, and they'll be able to spend more time working on those things and then ultimately, right, if you can spend more time, you can spend more mental energy on those things, uh, you know, the level, your likelihood of success increases as well. Um, so I think for me, it's just making sure that those various things that we're making sure students at all levels have access um, to some of those basic needs, but also some of those required needs for education, like internet uh, and technology, uh, and making sure there's ways <clears throat> that, that those things can um, making sure there's ways that we can connect students with resources to access those things. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a, a trio of questions left for you. And the first of the three questions for you, Kyle, is for any uh, aspiring ed educator, I'm curious, 
what would be your piece of advice for anyone who aspires to enter the field of education and be successful? What is like the roadmap to be successful in the field of education is from a professional standpoint? Yeah, I think, uh, and these are things that I've, you know, had to learn as well. Um, but I think for me, the two things that I would probably tell people the most um, looking to enter, you know, an educational field at any any level is is flexibility uh, and patience, um, because you've got to um, whether you're working directly with students or directly with faculty or, or whatever that role may be, um, you're working with and um, people with different expectations, people with different ways of of accomplishing things. Um, they have different experiences that they're bringing into that situation. Um, they're different backgrounds they're bringing into that. Um, and so I think it's it's very important to be flexible and being able to um, not necessarily work within the way that's most comfortable to you, but finding ways to work with other people um, that they're comfortable with with doing things as well. And so you have to be flexible um, if you want to meet, the, meet those goals. Um, if you stay too rigid in education, um, you're not going to get things done probably and you and probably, probably end up being kind of frustrated with the things you're trying to do. Um, and then the other part of that is patience. You've got to have patience with people. You've got to have patience with processes. Um, like with anything, um, you know, somebody may you know, somebody may think this needs to be done in this timeline. You may think it needs to be done in this timeline. Um, and maybe it doesn't get done. Maybe you don't have control over when it gets done. And so you've got to have some patience um, to kind of work within those different processes that are going on um, within the educational system. Because there's a lot of different parts that are moving. Uh, there's different, you know, uh, influence, whether that's governmental or uh, more university level. So there's always influences. And so, yeah, I think for me, it's it's being flexible uh, and being patient uh, because you're working with people. Uh, and I think those are uh, two skills that you have to have to be able to kind of work with those people. Uh, and the people that you're working with, like I've said, are uh, the backgrounds are different, whether that be educational, cultural backgrounds, um, you know, all of those things are at play. And so you have to be able to kind of work within uh, those different environments and, and with with those people that are, are, you know, people are different. Everybody's got different expectations. Um, and so you have to be able to work with those people. And to do that, I think you've got to be flexible and you've got to be patient. Oh, well, uh, I think you can apply that to every aspect of life, right? <laughs> Yeah, probably, probably yes, and that's yeah. So I think those are two easy things to think about, right? As they're not, um, they're not, you know, career, you know, they're not dependent to one area, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so yeah, I think, and those are two things, like I said, for me that I've, uh, you know, have eyes, have as I have grown in in my role as an instructional designer, um, are two things that I've I've really had to learn and especially the patience uh, part is just being able to wait and say, okay, you know, I've done my task or I, you know, I'm just waiting and you have to be patient on some of those things. Yeah, absolutely. Kyle, my final question for you is a two part of my friend. What's the best part about living and working in Oklahoma? And what do you think of your own uh, personal and professional legacy? How do you want that to be defined? 
yeah so in terms of just like working uh and, and living in oklahoma so i've actually lived in oklahoma uh my whole life so uh i don't know much different in terms of living um uh, but i think the best thing for me is i have young kids uh, and then i have a lot of family uh that live around here um so it's just nice being close um to some of those resources with family um and being able to see them regularly um and also just kind of the pace of life in oklahoma is about the way that i would want it to be it's not too fast uh, it's not too slow um it's not too crowded right so it's just kind of like uh yeah in that sense uh it's kind of it's really nice um or for living if you if you kind of like a, a slower pace uh, and and don't necessarily uh, want to get stuck in in a bunch of traffic necessarily every day so i think i think those are the things for me um just like i said as family and then just kind of the pace of life is is the way that i like it could go without the tornadoes and the hailstorms though but uh you know you got to take some of the bad with with uh with the good sometimes um it's, on those things it's the sense of adventure right Kyle? <laughs> yeah yeah you know everybody wants to run to their uh tornado shelter every now and then uh, well well that 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 only makes it imperative that you you live in houses with a basement right now. <laughs> yeah 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 for sure yeah we have a storm shelter that's outside so that makes it a little tricky sometimes if it's already like hailing and stuff you've got to like, go outside and, and climb down into the storm shelter um, well so. in through your cardio nothing else <laughs> right yeah, you got to dodge the the hail and the debris as you're as you're running to get in. Absolutely. What about your legacy, buddy? What, what when you look at your life, how do you want your legacy to be defined? Yeah, and that's uh, you know honestly a question probably don't think about uh, the answer to a whole lot. Um, uh, but you know, as I was thinking about that, uh, you know, for me, I think it's easy for us. Uh, to divine success or a legacy a certain way, right? Whether that be, uh, you know, especially today with social media, right? We could say, look at look at all my followers or things like that. Uh, but for me, you know, there's things uh, that I that I value above uh, things like that, uh, and it comes down to kindness, uh, being hardworking, uh, being helpful, and then just showing genuine empathy to others. So. Um, you know, I think but all of those things across both my professional or personal legacy, those are I hopefully I think hopefully the things uh, people remember. Uh, and hopefully that's the legacy um, that I leave behind. When I think about that, I think of I have two young daughters and then a son uh, that's going to be born at the end of the month. Um, and so in my conversations with them, that's kind of I'm always trying to encourage them, right? Like. Like, you know, once she's seven and she's starting to worry, like, oh, do I look cool or things like that? And I'm like, that doesn't matter. <laughs> like, in the long run, right, nobody's going to remember when you're 40 if you were cool, right? Uh, you know, those things fade. Being cool fades. Being athletic fades, right? And even sometimes our minds fade, right? And so there's things that we can work on that we can then make, we can use those things to make an impact uh, on those around us by being kind, being patient. Uh, being helpful, right? Being hardworking and showing empathy to others, and so uh, hopefully those are the things that um, my personal and professional legacy are defined by. Um, 
you know, one example that I think of um, on those and somebody that probably has inspired me, right, to live that way and, and kind of aspire for those things um, was my grandma. Um, and she didn't, she didn't really have a professional legacy, didn't really work a lot um, due to the time of an age of, of when she lived, right? Uh, it was just kind of the expectation more to do those home things for her. Um, but as she got older, she really got out and did a lot of serving and working with people, um, you know, and when people ask, you know, or mention her, right? It's never, it's never like, oh, she was successful. She was smart. She was funny. Um, she was driven, right? Those are never the words people use. It's always things like she was so kind. She was so sweet. Uh, and she was always willing to help people. So it's always those kind of things. And so that's kind of what I aspire for uh, in my professional uh, and personal legacy as well. A fabulous. And Kyle, if I'm going to tell you, if people want to get connected with you personally or the good work that you do at the University of Oklahoma, my friend, tell, tell me the best way uh, they can accomplish that goal. Yeah, I mean, I'm on, I would say uh, LinkedIn is probably the easiest because uh, I, I don't post a lot on there, but I do check uh, that pretty regularly. Um, I have Twitter and Instagram, but I don't uh, I don't really use those uh, very often in terms of posting or anything like that. Um, so not a lot of information on there, but if people wanted to connect, you know, I am on those things, but I'd say LinkedIn is probably the easiest. Um way to find me or connect because it's probably uh although i don't post on there often it is something that i check more regularly than the others fabulous well kyle i really want to thank you for your work in uh, advancing forward educational equity for students at the university of oklahoma my friend your work in the space and time on my behalf this morning is most appreciated and i want to thank you for being here yeah thank you kevin i appreciate uh the opportunity i appreciate your time as well and and the thoughtful um questions um just about education about instructional design work and, and all of that